Leonard Lopate at large. I'm Leonard Lopate. This coming Monday is Labor Day. Kids will be returning to school for the fall term. Summer's approaching its end, despite increasingly hot weather across much of the country. And midterm elections are just a little over two months away. Bob Henley joins us again on this program to update us on political and economic developments in our area and on how national and international events might affect us. He reports for Salon, the chief leader, and other news organizations and on public radio, including a Monday morning show he hosts here on WBAI called What's Going On. His book, Stuck Nation, Can the United States Change Course on Our History of Choosing Profits Over People is published by Democracy at Work, and I'm very pleased that Bob Henley is with us again now. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, I'm getting tired of this hand-watering for our garden here, so it's like this drought where, I guess, we're in the, uh, I live in the planet of Neptune, so with a lot of water around, but you can't use it in your garden. And why can't you use it in your garden in uh, in New Jersey? Is there well the the salt water is you know seawater is not exactly oh. the best. So yeah, it's just been uh, it's like an extra hour and a half, but it's good. We're getting a good yield, but you just got to pay such close attention to be mindful of the water use and uh, stay on top of it. And I think it's a further notice. It's a climate crisis that we're in. We talked about it for so long, and here it is. Well, have there been any recent labor labor victories to mark this Labor Day weekend? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's um, you have to look at, uh, I think the best reporting on this uh, was what the review of the National Labor Board statistics for new petitions to start um, for recognition of unions. So I think... You know, we're at like last time I saw a 57 percent increase over the prior year. So we're in some new territory uh, and we have the uh, and one of the great things that we can do uh, at BAI is that you, if you listen to our program, we have a number of labor programs, not just mine in the morning, but building bridges um, and other other programs, you'll see that. Starbucks across the country. I think there's over 200 that are organized now. Dollar General stores. Um, yeah, but hasn't have, Starbucks closed locations where workers unionized? That's all part of the dance. I mean, that is, of course, that goes with the territory. There is an uh, approach that they do, and all the corporations do it. We have a situation right now where uh, Gannett, which is owner of like over 200 American newspapers, Including uh, USA Today. Yes, exactly. It's some very important legacy papers in Jersey, like the Bergen Record, the Asbury Park Press. I mean, really trusted brands, uh, a lot of great colleagues at those places. But Gannett um, is right in the middle right now. I have a piece up in Salon. You were kind enough to, to, to tweet it out uh, that looks at the fact that uh, Gannett had this idea of creating a huge amount of debt, Leonard, hundreds of millions of dollars, building a huge pile of debt, which our tax policy treats so nice. Don't work for a living, but run up corporate debt. That you can deduct. And so their plan was we're going to pay ourselves big CEO salaries, pay a pittance to reporters, lay them off when there's a downturn. And then they bet on this cockamamie Internet uh, sports betting thing that came a cropper. And now they're gonna they're doing draconian layoffs, and then they they uh, decided they wanted to borrow hundred million dollars for stock buyback, which they had to stop because they had liquidity problems. So, and they're laying off. So this is what they do once, and they're paying all kinds of money to have expensive anti 
union labor uh, lawyers come after the union. So we're in a struggle. This is contact sport here. It's not going to be easy. It's like the 30s in that sense that capital is not going to give up easy. They're not going to say, oh, you feel bad about the pandemic? Do you like to renegotiate the social contract? You know what? I'm going to close the store. Look what happened with uh, Trader Joe's, that very lucrative um, wine store in New York City. They'd rather cut their corporate nose off than have us sit at the table. But change is coming. Is Amazon still challenging the union win on Staten Island? Oh, the, and and even and this is the thing. Yes, uh, one of the things that's happening is that um, the uh, they have advanced the ball in uh, Bayonne. They won a warehouse election there. Uh, they were up. They were successful in upstate New York. They're still adding points to the board. They're getting it done. But with, this is what they do. This is a kind of corporate lawlessness. There is a National Labor Relations Act, and what these companies do is. They hire these law firms and they give you the Trump treatment. That's right. The things that should be illegal, but because a lawyer did it, we have to have a judge say it's illegal. So that's what they've been doing. And they run out the clock. One of the reasons why we need to pass the PRO Act, which you've heard people talk about, is that would make it so that you have a time period that you must sit down and collect the bargaining after the union certifies that they do qualify to represent the bargaining unit. One of the things they do wait, now, wait, wait, wait. Right. you should say what the PRO Act is. It's protecting the right to organize. Right, And right, as a exactly. candidate, Joe Biden supported it, but no vote has been scheduled on it. No, well, it's a long list of stuff that's not done. I know it's not part of the Democratic talking points to talk about what's not done, but we can do that here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that has happened is that the minimum wage, right? $7.25. Legacy from the Obama era hasn't been moved no. at the federal government level, and even Democrats voted against moving it forward. So there's a lot still to be done, but people are moving. I mean, my show I had on uh, last week, these folks that are uh, part of this organizing effort, Maximus is a big multi-billion dollar corporation. And listen to this scam. They take billions of dollars from the federal government. And then they open up call centers and then they hire primarily people of color and women, pay them so poorly. And then these women primarily take calls about your Medicare. Mm-hmm. And then they make huge profits. And then the people answering your questions about Medicare or student loans, you pick it, can't afford health care. And it's all in the South. So Jim Crow is alive and well, but we at least now have organizing efforts throughout the South, throughout the country. It's an unprecedented period of time. The stakes are high, and nobody's going to give up easy. Well, the uh, a New York City-backed loan program will start next month to provide relief from taxi medallion debts. Uh, didn't cab drivers go on a hunger strike last, last year because they were hurt by the growing use of Uber and Lyft to, to win that from the city? Yeah, and of course, so much more, because one of the things that and we're going to have Bavera Desai, who was the, uh, is the executive director of the Taxi Workers Alliance on my show Monday morning, Labor Day. Sorry for the commercial plug. But it's okay. There. Yeah, listen, I'll, ra- I'll help you raise some money at the end if you want, a little swap. Yes, we uh, will. Try. <laughs> good, good. But so anyway, that story is really emblematic, and I outlined it a lot in uh, Stuck Nation, because it's an example of... Um, you know, you think of cab drivers as consummate individualists, but what um, they were able to do was create this thousands and thousands of drivers coming together, 
who were in isolation coming together collectively to help each other out. And they were really up against it and still are. Consider that during the Bloomberg years, he had, for some particular reason, and I never asked him why, I could have, but he he didn't like yellow cabs. And so he really had it out for the taxi industry, but they saw it as a way of making revenue. So they kept selling these medallions. By the way, the Times did great coverage on this. The city cynically sold these things at ever higher rates, knowing internally through emails they exchanged from each other that it was going to collapse. And then these brightest people in the room that were working for Bloomberg went to work for Uber and Lyft. (laughs) And then they continued to, um, and as a result, also in the mix were credit unions that had to be taken over by the government uh, were also involved with writing this paper. It's very much like the housing crisis where uh, primarily uh, a lot of immigrant households Uh, People signed up for these jumbo loans that tied together the inflated value of the taxi medallion, which they knew uh, cynically was artificially high, with their home mortgage. And then when it all came apart, they tried to – and they did this by flooding the market with uh, Uber and Lyft drivers. And so it was using the talents of the free market to devastate an asset that the city of New York – had sold. I mean, this was the taxi medallion was this is what's really like when the government is criminal, right? It is actually selling this. And so implicit in it should be an obligation to protect the value of the asset. But that's not what happened. The city and the people that were in positions of power cynically were part of the scandal. So what they did do, thanks to help from Senator Schumer and, like you say, more importantly, this grassroots organizing that speaks a dozen different languages, more than a dozen languages, pulling together, building support within the community, outside City Hall, through rain, through sun, and then prevailed because of the unity. Now, they still got some work to do, but that's an example. And of course, remember the brutal suicides. We had several drivers who were at the end of their rope, including one gentleman who rolled up to City Hall and blew his head off. So, I mean, this has been a bloody struggle. It's not over. And judging from my email, Uber right now seems to be more in the food business than it is in in the driving business. But that's a whole other issue. Right. The Senate did approve former union official Marty Walsh as the labor secretary, and the National Labor Relations Board seems to have moved to a more union-friendly stance. But Amazon has attacked the NLRB. Can progress be sustained in the face of corporate opposition, especially – Corporate spending? Well, and and in the case of the Supreme Supreme Court being so heavily conservative, if any cases come up before it about this? Well, on one positive note uh, uh, is that uh, uh, Associate Justice Kenjaji Jackson, who just was elevated, um, I came across her. She was, I believe, in the district court in Washington, D.C. And it was one of those times where, I mean, she was known. But and I had to read um, a 70 page opinion she wrote, and it was really good news because one of the things uh, that was happening during Trump and it was underreported on was a war on the federal unions. Uh, there was a long tradition of uh, unionized workforce in the federal government. It goes back. It really got traction during John Kennedy when he signed an executive order guaranteeing the right to collectively bargain. And so Trump went to war on the unions. He tried to physically throw them out. Of, and this is really part of 
the when I say to you the insurrection started really from the minute even before he took office, he was going after the inspector generals as president elect, and he targeted the unions. And in a great opinion, Kajenji uh, Jackson wrote that um, the president of the United States is not a king, and she pushed back. Mm. And while ultimately there it was kind of uh, held in abeyance, that was the first time in the Trump era that I saw in the courts that unions got a helping hand. Uh, and so I am optimistic that um, we're going to see, and the politics are changing around this now. If you look at the overall uh, polling, unions have never been as popular as they are now, especially with the young people that are coming up, because we're going through this anthropological change about work, uh, the pandemic and the failure of the state and corporations to protect people has caused a once in a millennia reevaluation of work. So what you saw happen is people began to put their family needs above the needs of corporations. And that architecture is now changing the face of work. Wall Street does not like it. Corporate news media doesn't want to discuss it. But that's the leverage. I mean, 47 million people left their job last year. That's four times the size of the FLCIO. And the real challenge is the Chris Smalls of the world and all of the young people who are rising in this union movement are a challenge to old stodgy guys like us who really didn't do much. I mean, the reality is the labor movement was moribund and it was moribund because it got its knees broken by Ronald Reagan and then really didn't walk after that. And it's these kids that are giving it the life that it needs. Bob Henley is my guest today on Leonard Lopate at Large here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. What about inflation? Because uh, pundits say Americans vote with their wallets. It's now 9.1%. Uh, how is it affecting workers in New York and New Jersey? Uh, are we being hit particularly hard? And is it negating the way the wage increases that many workers have earned? So there's, uh, of course, when uh, we say inflation and we bring it up as a topic, you have to like uh, see that that is the that's one of the ways that capital and corporations change the conversation. People's eyes glaze over when everything becomes about the value of money. Mm -hmm. It's all very abstract. Yet the reality is it's very simple. So we see now that actually gasoline is coming down. I think this is kind of an unprecedented decline. It's still it's high, still very but high. But it has it's been Close coming to $4. down. But it's been coming down for a, quite a, a period. And it is true that the the wage increase that we saw a little glimmer of hope uh, has kind of disappeared, but we have to step back and do a wide shot on this because the decline of the American worker started in the 1970s and consistently during that period of time, what happened was there were tremendous increases in, tech, uh, in productivity through technology. Workers did not participate in that. And there's many, like James Parrott has done this work, The Economist. Uh, Paul Cribben talks about this. So what happened was all the cream went to the managerial and ownership class and wages declined or were stagnant. And capital interests were smart. They introduced consumer credit. Hmm. So you felt like you were living like your father and mother, with the occasional trip, but you were doing it all on credit. And they hollowed out the American middle class. 
we're still going through that. And so it's going to be a long time to change around the agenda. But as far as inflation, I will tell you that it's not they do that when they want to change the conversation. I mean, the reality is that uh, and you'll see that they use that, for instance, to rationalize uh, not following through on the rest of the Build Back Better agenda. And then they pass this kind of uh, Build Back Better light version, the Inflation Reduction Act. When you actually look at the spending that we're doing. By the way, I'm just really stunned that it's the IRA. To me, the (laughs) IRA always meant something else. (laughs) The Inflation Reduction Act. Retirement security or... The Irish Republican Army. Yes, yes, (laughs) right. But I mean... The, the, the curious thing about this this conversation about inflation is they'll talk about it when they want to uh, penny pinch mm. programs that invest in people. But you never hear them worry about it when it's about sending weapons to the Ukraine or spending billions on weapon systems or a further notice war on terrorism that made the world more unsafe. You'll never hear about that when they talk about that. No, they reserve the inflation talk. When it's things like, oh, let's see, we know that we had the expanded income tax credit lowered 40 percent of poverty when we tried it. Let's not do that anymore. Oh, you say you've got. uh, And here's an example of where Pennywise and Pound Foolish. We know that one of the hindrances to growth in the economy is getting women back in the workforce because two million women had to leave because of the unprecedented collapse of education in the United States. They were doing it home while they were trying to make a living and taking care of their family. You would think if we wanted them to get back to work, and that's the way you expand the economy, would be to have universal child care like any other civilized country. No, ah, didn't make it on the list. So don't give me inflation. I'm not saying you personally, don't give me inflation, but that's a cover story because, I mean, well, your own power. Well, is I, there any not, evidence that Republicans, uh, what Republicans are saying about inflation is having an impact on likely voters? They're blaming the Democrats for it. Uh, Kevin McCarthy said um, it was out of control spending from presidents. Uh, uh, Biden and Speaker Pelosi and New York Representative Elise Stefanik blame, quote, Democrats' reckless tax and spend policies, although other countries like Britain are experiencing even more severe inflation, aren't they? Yeah, th- they are. But also, I would say that so much of the Republican Party is busy decoding secret messages from QAnon. So, I mean, it's not <laughs> really it's not a political party as such. And I know like it, we always just to talk about it like that. But like I say, I still feel that the insurrection is like a soft coup that's ongoing. So I feel like living in the United States, I'm living in like a uh, a Caribbean nation where, yes, we did stop the fascist racist from seizing the U.S. Capitol, but they got posi- uh, control and possession of the Supreme Court. That's not good. They have control of the U.S. Post Office because uh, uh, DeJoy there, Mm -hmm. uh, that character is still in control of it. And so sorry, they're in control of the IRS, that same guy on whose watch uh, Comey's taxes were um, audited is still there. So and, and we can't even get the Secret Service to produce tax from the most critical period and day in American history. So to me, just to be honest. It looks like an unstable country. Mm. But in a surprise, Democrat Pat Ryan defeated Mark Molinaro to represent New York's upstate 19th congressional district. Um, 
He was supposed to lose. Polls indicated he was losing. Did he benefit from backlash against the Dobbs decision on Roe v. Wade or or growing sentiment that Trump must be held accountable for at least some of his actions, like keeping those top secret documents at Mar-a-Lago? I would say, I mean, I have some intimate knowledge of that part of the world in the Hudson Valley. That's the Ulster County, is it? Yeah, Ulster County. And, uh, you know, and so... The, the amazing thing about this is that he is an extraordinary candidate, West Point graduate, a county executive of Ulster County, who made the county, brought together people to get them through a very difficult time of the pandemic successfully. And unfortunately, because so often when they talk about politics, it's 10,000 feet up. They're talking to MSNBC. They, they maybe know a restaurant that's there. But I happen to know that district and the guy just really had his act together. Now, it's also true that his messaging linked patriotism and who doesn't like a soldier and with the idea of liberty for women in the form of choice. That's a winning combination. When you make the right rap, the right to choice in red, white and blue. You're not going to lose. So you think that the Democrats are going to really be held, helped by the Supreme Court decision? Uh, animated. I mean, I, I mean, look at what. Uh, let's talk about what happened with Sarah Palin, Palin last night, yeah. right? I mean, it's and Kansas. I mean, I, I'm not. Um, I mean, part of my concern is that Democrats, um, uh, uh, Democrats could squander this. I mean, I I'm, I know that I'm dealing with Charlie Brown here, right? And so it is important to uh, to point out that there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, they they need to galvanize the base. In a way that, and I'm not just talking about, and that we get always focused on suburbia. There is the people that Reverend Barber has been talking about, the 140 million folks, uh, low wage, low wealth, uh, that were determinative in the Warnock and um, uh, 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 Ossoff race in, in Georgia. And that's the thing. You have to galvanize the people in this country who, uh, who you disappointed, quite frankly, by not raising the minimum well, wage. Although, interestingly, Warnock is trailing, at least in the polls, a, a candidate who seems to be uh, one of the worst candidates in America. No, he's ahead. Know. Last thing I saw is that he's ahead. Oh, he moved ahead? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand that he is, uh, yeah, he is The fact that ahead, it's even but... close is, is a shocker. Right, right. And I, I would say that one Unless of the you're a football that... fan, I guess. Right. Uh, and, and I guess the other thing about this is that there is the uh, what's happened. I mean, it is kind of stunning when you realize that uh, if you've got kids now, uh, I have grown daughters. They are are diminished in standing in terms of the civil rights in almost an unprecedented way. We're in new territory here that we stripped uh, more than half of the population of a fundamental civil right that they enjoyed for half a century. That's new ground. And so. It's going to require, for instance, like the labor movement. The labor movement's been kind of like, oh, well, we don't want to talk about abortion because not everybody agrees. That's back in the 60s and 70s. Like, oh, you know, and they each local would make up its mind. Nobody. Well, you saw Liz Schuler come out with a clear statement backing up a choice. And what's happening now is that the labor movement's recognizing there's nothing more fundamental. Talk about labor rights, pun intended. The right to control reproduction is foundational to labor rights. 
The Federal Reserve and Congress may be able to tackle inflation, but has nature outpaced our ability to tackle climate change or the loss of biodiversity? Because you you reported earlier this week on the New Jersey Department of Environmental Uh Protection's decision to leave over 100 black vultures where they died from bird flu. Uh, I was wondering about whether that presented a risk to the public. I got to tell you, that's a personal best, Leonard. You got to this before the bottom of the hour. That's... (laughs) That's <laughs> I was one. Listen, this is one of those stories I did not go looking for. Uh, I was just, you know, I I do this thing of just checking out odd uh, websites, and so I was looking like, what's the what's the DEP Parks uh, sites doing? And lo and behold, I see an advisory um, about I like to look for places to take the dog, and it says an advisory. The path was closed, the hiking trail uh, up in Lafayette off Route 94 in Sussex County because the DEP found over 100 black vultures who died of Asian uh, uh, avian bird flu. And they're going to leave the corpses in place because we don't have the trained personnel to deal with it right now. Is avian flu likely to spread to people or could it spread to other animals? So here's the thing. And again, it's um, I think um, it was an insider NJ. I will social media it out. But it's a very important story and it's underreported. One of the things that's going on is that we have a global crisis and I've got to tip my hat to uh, nature. Yeah, they had a they had a headline in May. Why unprecedented bird flu outbreaks sweeping the world are concerning scientists. Right. And so one of the things that's happened is they just I think there's been two cases where uh, I think in Colorado was the first one where there was a uh, exposure to a human being and they came down with it. That person got better. But the the reality is that this is going to be this is this is a kind of um, uh, going to be related. It's related to climate change, right? Climate crisis, rather. And so what's happening is the wild bird population uh uh, particularly, you look at the the nexus would be here in the in New Jersey and in the Mid Atlantic. We have the Delaware Bay. You have these hemispheric uh, these birds as uh, aquatic uh, shorebirds that have like the ability to um, and and there's a commerce back and forth between all these uh, these birds. And so it's logical that at some point you're going to have this intersection with b- birds of prey and. Um, scavengers like the vultures that are going to be consuming this contaminated, um, infected uh, bird flesh. And so that's where we're at. Now, everyone I spoke with uniformly, who's an expert, said the state needs to collect this. They need to collect it and reduce the exposure because by leaving it in situ, as they say, just hanging out, you're uh, likening increasing the chance that there'll be increasing proliferation of the virus. Moreover, once I started looking around, don't you know the New York State DEC has a, an advisory that there are several locations where wild birds uh, are coming down with avian. And in Georgia, several hundred of these vultures died. Now, just one thing. Uh, what's crazy about this is that when I got back in social media, and this shows you how capitalism has really bent people's minds, the response I got like, well, New Jersey doesn't have a commercial poultry business. Like now the, the we internalize that the threat to us is, are they not going to be able to make some money at Purdue? Like instead of pulling back and saying, oh, this would really be bad. You know, 
And this is why I still don't think we've really connected and understand the nature of the crisis that we're in. Well, bird flu may fly under the radar, forgive, forgive me, <laughs> for the drought, especially in the Colorado River Basin. But uh, that it, it's got a lot of attention there. Has climate change progressed to the point where we're bound to see more disasters like this? Well, I, yeah. I mean, we're coming up on the anniversary of Ida. And so, you know, we do know I was I did a piece uh, a while ago for Insider NJ that I just called around to environmentalists, uh, Jennifer uh, Coffey from uh, the Association of New Jersey Environmental Commissions, Greg Rameau from Baykeeper, um, and just folks that are keeping track, I know, over all these years. And they were saying, yeah, we had a press conference. The governor did a big thing about Blue Acres, where they were going to you know, buy um, homesteads that really shouldn't be developed on, that are prone to this kind of flash flooding. And yet the state still has not produced the basic rules uh, and restrictions on building in floodplains. And all it took was the Business and Industry Association to call down to Trenton and have some problems with it. So it's it's not we're not serious. I mean, I got to say we're still not serious and we're not on a footing that you would think we should be. That's why when I hear the the state say it's going to not, you know, why don't we have the proper uh, folks uh, trained up to be able to deal with avian bird flu. I mean, this is like Old Testament proportions. When something that has got a five-foot wingspan drops out of the sky, you know, I think we should pay attention. Forgive the pun, but we're not serious, but we are WBAI. Uh, <laughs> this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. for Salon, the chief leader and other news organizations, and has a Monday morning show, in fact, here on WBAI called What's Going On. Uh, his book, Stuck Nation, Can the United States Change Course on Our History of Choosing Profits Over People, is published by Democracy at Work. Now, uh, this the, we, we have a drought right now, uh, and uh, that's... Uh, a, the New York City's reservoir system is below 73% of capacity at a time when it would normally be around 85%. And I, But I haven't heard that the city has called for measures to conserve water. Have New Jersey state or local governments taken steps to address the drought? Yeah. Also, just one one correction. I'm not at the chief leader anymore. Just to okay. Wanted to I'm sorry about that. that. So, that's all right. Uh so here's the thing. Uh, imposing drought restrictions has real uh, commercial and business implications. Uh, it's something that, uh, you know, both in agriculture and manufacturing, um, it's felt. Uh, and, you know, when you're in an inflationary cycle already and you've got um, um, distribution issues in general through the economy, I could see where policymakers to be reluctant. New Jersey uh, has uh, the uh, like we have 566 some um, municipalities so and 21 counties so like my area has voluntary restrictions um, 
Connecticut, I think, is a little more aggressive. Long Island, I think, is a little more aggressive. But this is still primarily seems to be where the teeth exist or where there's focus is at the local level. I mean, there are press conferences from the uh, from the state about it, but it is still um, it's not gotten to that level where they're driving around and writing citations, at least in my neck of the woods. Do Republicans blame Democrats for the drought or do they deny (laughs) there is a drought as much as they used to deny that there was a thing called climate change? Well, I mean, I think that that's, you know, they're too busy taking down uh, their uh, draconian anti-choice websites right now. So they're inside it. They're doing a split time between decoding the QAnon messages, keeping an eye on what Donald Trump is doing. I mean, I mean, that's one of the things that I, I have to. It's so that's why I enjoy being on your program. One of the things that concerns me is that the entire focus of the likes of MSNBC is on the Trump storyline. So it's like not only did the guy almost overthrow the government, he has now wholly consumed the platform of mass communication so that no other stories can get through. And yet we have things like Representative Jim Banks of Indiana and other conservative House members who met with Trump in Bedminster three weeks ago, and Banks saying that Trump is, quote, the most effective president in a lifetime or more. <laughs> Do we hear any New Jersey Republicans saying something like that? Well, no. And as a matter of fact, uh, I would say that uh, it's going to be uh, Jeff Andrew, who is uh, kind of like he's a Democrat from the second district in the South. That would be like, you know, I would say like uh Uh, Burlington, Gloucester County, the southern like third of the state. He was a Democrat nominally, and then he was so smitten with Trump that he converted to become a Republican. And we've seen it working both ways. Yeah. Well, he no, he went from. uh, I mean, we've seen a fair number of Republicans become Democrats because of Trump, and I guess some Democrats, but not members of the House. Uh Not members of the House. I mean, this was unusual and. One of the crazy things, like the second district is really the story of the United States. And so since you, um, I would say, and this is a case where he's challenged by Mr. Alexander, who's a career law enforcement guy, African-American, consummate law enforcement professional, um, very much admired in his community. He's challenging Van Drew. This is a district that President Obama carried twice and then President Obama. Mm. Uh, President Trump carried in 2016. It's a place where thousands of African-American voters stayed home when Hillary Clinton was on the ballot, because it's very important to remember that 2016 was a result of a confluence of things. Yes, it was the rise of uh, white supremacists and the alienation of and the grievance of so many folks in in the Rust Belt who felt that the world had passed them by. But it was also a significant number of African-Americans, around 800,000, that felt hope and change left them high and dry because grandma lost her house to foreclosure. And so I see in the second district a chance for a pickup uh, by Democrats. The national money isn't there yet. But I think that this, uh, I think even Chris Smith, who is a Republican, lifelong, I mean, he's had that position. He represents uh, also the Southern Party. said he's been in for many years probably, I think, the longest uh, 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 longest serving House member from New Jersey, Republican, very much right to life. I wouldn't be surprised if he was in trouble because this is something that is 
uh, between the combination of the stuff and concerns about further instability that Trump represents and going after more than half of the population's basic civil rights, if the Democrats get it, can't get it done now, they never will. Well, we do have uh, Lindsey Graham saying last, last Sunday that there would be, quote, riots in the streets if Donald Trump is prosecuted. So, um, I'm not so sure. I, I, I think that this, well, he's now, he's now pulled back a bit as a result. What's a problem is that all you need is someone with an AK 47 Hmm. and they can produce mayhem in the streets. And that's what I would be concerned about. You're listening to London Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM streaming live at WBAI.org. My guest is Bob Henley. Uh, is Jersey City Councilwoman Amy DeGeist still hang on to her job after her hit-and-run accident on July 19th? She's the daughter of Hudson County Executive Tom DeGeist. Has he intervened to protect her from political or legal blowback? Well, I am dependent on the great reporting by my editor at Insider and Jay Max Pizarro. Last time I looked, uh, that situation is holding firm. She's not going anywhere. This is part of a proud tradition. Uh, in in our politics, uh, you pick the person, uh, Jim McGreevy, whatever. And I think Bill Clinton really, you know, this, and this is this is kind of it's the idea is just hang in there, be tough and you'll prevail. And so I think that that's where this is at. Of course, does it make people cynical? Yes. Uh, does it cost us in terms of the credibility of of uh, of politics? Yeah. New York City and New Jersey are debating congestion pricing, and the MTA held a third hearing yesterday. What difference would congestion pricing make if it were to work as planned? Well, so that's a whole lot there. Like, if it worked as planned, hmm, we've got such a, a good batting average on things working as planned. <laughs> well, I'm going to uh, give you. I'm going to give you plenty of time. To right, answer. right, right, right. I mean, I would say that. I mean, it's something that I, I am in such a different space on this because I my feeling is that if they really wanted um, this the region, the city to come back, uh, I mean, what ends up happening is politicians and policymakers become wedded to an idea because they thought of it. And so, like here we've had a pandemic that's still not resolved, major changes to the pattern of work, and the um, the intelligentsia is like, well, we we made a congestion pricing plan, and now is the time to break out the workbook, and we're all going to do it because that's what we committed to do. I I I'm not so sure. I mean, I think it's a mistake. I think one of the things that they want to bring back, uh, they need to have free mass transit. Uh, I don't think that. I mean, I would. I think that they've got to look at the way things are now and. Because one of the problems Wait, is that free mass transit. Yeah, yeah. Who's yeah. going to pay for it? Well, listen. I uh, one of the things that is amazing, uh, and I've talked about this before in the show. So back in uh, 1913, a, a Republican governor uh, put something on on the books called the stock transfer tax, and the stock transfer tax was a nickel per hundred dollars. Uh, that you had to pay if you were doing a stock transfer tax. And at the time, the New York Times was like, this will be terrible. Wall Street will move to New Jersey. And then they had to admit, oh, well, we were only kidding. And for decades and decades, we collected this money. Everything was fine. 
So what happens in the 80s? The Democrats, that's right, they decide that Wall Street might leave. Not, I mean, I don't know, maybe they said they were going. And they just started to refund back to them that nickel per $100. And so, right as rain, year after year, we restore tens of billions of dollars back to the poor people of Wall Street. That's right. Through the Great Recession, through the Great House Robbery, through it all, we kept sending the money back. I would just submit, stop sending it back and use it to pay for mass transit. Because then all of a sudden, because let's look at the way we actually live, right? So take me. I commuted to New York uh, to the chief leader into City Hall, and that was four times a week, right? And so that's six to seven grand. So once that stopped, I got to find six to seven grand. Otherwise, I'm losing money. That's what's going on here. They got to lower the. They want to bring back real estate. They got to tax real estate. If they want it, they're happy. If the mayor wants his city back and his workers back, well, then make it easy for them to come back. Well, three weeks ago, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy said he loved the idea of congestion pricing, but now he says that although it may be a good idea, it's quote an idea whose time has not come. So I'm assuming that some pressure was put on him, and so he's pulled back a bit. Well, and and this is, I mean, one of the things that's happened is, uh, and there's another side battle, and this has been a great story that has been done by uh, uh, my colleagues at the Daily News about this whole water commission, this waterfront commission thing. So out of the tough and rumble times of the 50s when organized crime controlled the docks and the unions uh, – New York City and New Jersey came up with this compact New York State to clean up the docks uh, reference on the waterfront. And so this worked fine. And then all of a sudden, New Jersey, with a little bit of pressure for some unions, wants to withdraw from that compact. And so that's a big case that's coming up. This is I think we have to look at the totality of the interstate relationship. And so we're in a period of time where everybody is it's kind of like a reaction from that brief period of cooperation during the pandemic, there is this idea to appeal to your base and to your provincial interests. And, and the reality is that New Jersey and, and New York are kind of like they're 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 uh it's a marriage of proximity from which there's no divorce. But there's plenty of political opportunity made by beating up on each other. And that's kind of what I think is going on here. Well, two years after he made it a campaign promise, President Biden has proposed a forgiveness program for college debt. Uh, The New York State Department of Taxation and Finance has announced that forgiven loans will not be considered income, even though the state can treat canceled debt as taxable income. How will New Jersey treat forgiven student loans? Do we know? I, I I do not know yet. I think I'd heard some inkling that they're they're gonna they're not gonna penalize students. But this is something. There's something that I I as a kind of like PSA. Um, I came across this um, doing some reporting. People need to know that if you were working for ten years in the civil service or in the nonprofit sector, there's two hundred billion with a B dollars that are available for you to get. Not $10,000, but significant student debt relief. If you served in the civil service or nonprofit sector, you are qualified for this. I've been doing, if you check my social media, and uh, you'll see I've been promoting this. One of the things about it, its deadline is October 31st. People are not um, aware of the program. 
and and five thousand people in New York that took advantage of it saved an average of sixty five thousand dollars. So let's stick a pin in. I just wanted to say that because it came up. But moreover, this Biden plan, listen, it is such a small part of the problem. If we really want to have relief and upward mobility of of this generation that did what we told them to do and incurred a lot of debt and then couldn't find jobs that could pay it off, we need to do something very simple, which is to make student loans dischargeable in bankruptcy. And that is something that uh, Senator Biden, when he was the uh, concierge for capital interest and credit card companies in Delaware, he made it possible that he made it impossible to do that. And uh, you would notice that the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, not a known Marxist, has said in testimony, sworn testimony, there is no economic reason that we have said that you can't discharge student debt uh, by going into bankruptcy. Every corporation, every small business has the opportunity. Every American has the ability to get a fresh start. And we call it a pro-business law. For some reason, once it comes down to human beings, we have this draconian thing that we want to make it uh, a lifelong sentence to debt. So $10,000 is very nice. It's like a, a welcome wagon gift. It's nice. But you want structural reform, make it dischargeable by bankruptcy. We've come a long way from the times when the GI Bill really expanded uh, college attendance. Now, New Jersey and New York remain expensive states for college. Will debt forgiveness do anything to address those rising costs? Well, and this is this is a fair point that you hear from conservatives that uh, during the Obama administration, the spigot was kind of open for federal guaranteeing of these loans. There wasn't a commensurate uh, financial control or incentives to keep costs down. I think uh, part of it is, and, and this goes back to um, my my beloved uh, in-laws. Okay. Uh, Frank and Sandy Sabatini went to um, uh, City College. And I remember we had some, like their 50th anniversary or whatever. And I remember they went to college for free. And I remember being part of this multi-generational picture and seeing all the college educations, that their education as an architect and as a uh, as an educator uh, and mental health professional, how many educations were able to be paid for because the city of New York invested in free education. This conversation is upside down. We have to flip the script on this. We invested, we think nothing of economic development for corporations. We have to start turning this agenda around and invest in households. On another front, according to the Max Planck Institute, the only high income country with a greater decline in life expectancy than the United States was Russia. And I don't know if the, if the <laughs> war has played a role in that. Um, the the economists who pioneered work on deaths of despair, Angus Deaton and Anne, Anne Case, found right. that the percentage of a local population that's employed is strongly correlated with the with the with deaths of despair, unemployment in New York City has remained higher than the national average. What about New Jersey? So um, this question, I just spent, and it's serendipitous that you raise this, I spent the last two days breaking the back of all of the CDC state-by-state -state death uh, life expectancy data. And so I was, I didn't know you'd raise it, but that's what makes this fun, right? Uh, one of the things that we have to understand is that if we were a developing nation, 
we just this year it was recorded we had the lowest drop of three years over a two-year period three years in average life expectancy in the united states that's the most we've lost in a century but it's it's bad because this was happening even before three years prior to the pandemic life expectancy declined in the united states if we were a developing country ngos and the world bank would be giving us an improvement plan but because we're a little edge superpower nobody says anything this is one of the most seminal issues if a state can't advance the life expectancy of the people what is the point of the government and that's where you are right now we are in a situation where the heat map if you look at excess death and the best people the best study i've seen in this is a reverend barber shally uh, barnes gupta and jeffrey Sachs did a thing for the cairo center and for reverend barber looking county by county at the death rates from COVID, and what jumps out at you is that poorer counties had death rates five times out of wealthier counties we have a healthcare system that feeds off of scarcity. The things you just described, education and healthcare, their primary function in the United States is the preservation and amassment of capital. If it provides those services by accident, that's a happy coincidence. Well, that reminds me, we're almost out of time, but uh, the life expectancy of WBAI right now is ha! a bit in peril. Do you want to talk about that Didn't for a moment? Didn't see that coming. <laughs> Should we talk a bit about the financial problems facing BAI and how listeners can help? Uh, we, yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, it's such a great time to do this because I'm celebrating my year anniversary uh, at uh, – What's going on? Mm -hmm. I your, do your, show, one, your Monday morning right, show. Right, Monday morning show at 7 a.m. We have a big Labor Day thing coming up. We're going to have uh, Vinny Alvarez on from New York City Central uh, Labor Committee. We're going to have Tom DiNapoli, Bavaria Desai from the Tax Workers Alliance. It's going to be a star-studded cavalcade. All that is really possible. In fact, me being you hearing me now is all possible because of, of listeners and donors. I mean, Lennon and I... Um, uh, at, at another time and period and chapter in her life where at another radio station where there was all kinds of corporate support and occasionally somebody got through like Purdue and, and uh, the Sacklers. Oops, sorry about that. <laughs> Who passed that underwriting? I thought they were a good company. No, they've been indicted. Um, and by the way, and they so and uh, at that station, they run commercials. They don't call them commercial. Yeah. They call them no. funding credits, but they're commercials. And uh, and we don't do that. We are totally, no, no. We, we're totally free speech radio. Uh, we rely 100% on the support of our listeners. Unfor unfortunately, that's, uh, well, on one level, that's the best way. On the other level, that does put us in a precarious position at times. And that's why you need to call 212-209-2877. Did I get the, No, that's no. the listener number. 209-2950. Or go online to give to WBAI.org. That's give and then the number 2 WBAI.org uh, to help us keep the unique in-depth content we bring you on this show and the station coming to you every day. Uh, we really hope that uh, you will uh, do something. You also might consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy. Uh, 
that, that, that that's a good way, don't you think, oh, Bob? Oh, sure. Because no, it, best, it allows yeah. us to to prepare for the future. Right, and, and the thing about that is, we uh, management has been doing this thing of trying to pay ahead the the tower fund. That's another way to go, as I always have said, and I've sold uh, a number of books on your show of, in this cause. Uh, if you uh, sign up today, and you know, I think it's whatever. Uh, I think it's one hundred fifty dollars uh, for the station. I will personally uh, send you the book. I will autograph it. Uh, I will also make sure that it gets into the mail. Uh, I've always said we should that, give the name of the book because I think oh, that's yes. important. Stuck as Nation well. can that right? Stuck Nation can the United States change its course of history of choosing profits over people? Uh, published by Democracy at Work. You're probably familiar with that name mm-hmm. if you listen to Professor Rick Wolf. And so, yeah, it's really up to us to do this, especially going into uh, the campaign season. This is going to be, I mean, through the pandemic, through the insurrection. We were talking about the issues in a way that you just don't hear about it. When I open up my program Monday morning, I talk about what first responders are experiencing. What's the COVID rate? Where's monkeypox at? Where's polio at? Because this is the world. If you have to work out there and face the public and put your life on the line, that's the kind of weather you need. And that's brought to you only because listeners before you have supported the station. So please, won't you give it a call? Leonard, what's the number? It's 212-209-2950, or you can go online to give2wbai.org. That's give and the number 2wbai.org. And remember, BAI has been under attack over the years. Uh, our license is, is, is worth a lot because we're in the middle of the FM dial, and many commercial stations would love to be at 99.5. So we need all of your help to, <laughs> to be able to stay here. Uh, it is, luckily, uh, it is tax deductible. So that's the good side. And um, Bob, thank you so much for being on oh, the show. Oh, thank you. Um, All right. And also at Stuck Nation, if you have a lead or an obstreperous manager or you're disappointed in your union, at Stuck Nation, direct messages appreciated. And a special thanks to segment producer Hugh Sampson for preparing today's interview. If you'd like to check out more about one-hour interviews on one subject, you can access our archive of over 700 shows at BAI.org or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you get podcasts. Also, check us out on Twitter. If you'd like to reach me directly, my email address is leonardlopate at WBAI.org. And I hope you can join us again tomorrow when Anne-Marie H. Sammartino will discuss her book, Freedom Land, Co-op City, and the Story of New York. I hope to see you then. Thank you.